Well, this morning we're going to begin a new sermon series that's entitled Rise Up. Rise Up is, and this sermon series is really pretty much the vision and the trajectory for the rest of the year. Rise Up kind of comes out of the intersection between the resurrection of Jesus and kind of the vision and the word that drove our church family all last year. The word for last year, the phrase that drove us was the word health. We took a year to look at our lives spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, financially, and said, you know what? We've got to make moves as a church family in order to get healthy. It's important. But after you get healthy, or I should say, once you're moving towards being healthy, I believe there comes a time where you have to rise up and walk. And so what we're going to be looking at through this sermon series, but also for the rest of the year, is the idea that we are going to be a church family that is going to rise up, use the giftings that God has given us, and we're going to see God's kingdom use us in profound ways here in the city of Charlottesville. In this sermon series, you will hear subtitles to the Rise Up main title. You will hear things like growing up, stepping up, facing up, building up, moving up, listening up, opening up, and reaching up. It will be that sense of God calling us and moving us forward. But here's what I do want to say about this sermon series. Here is the overarching thought for this entire series, and it's this. Very rarely in life will you or I rise up without a person or an event calling us to do so. Even biblically, you will find, most people end up where they're at and continuing to be where they're at until an event or a person or a combination of both steps into their life and really motivates them to rise up. So this morning's sermon is Rise Up, Growing Up. Now what I want you to do now is I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, it's time for you to grow up. <laughs> How did you feel? How did you feel when someone looked at you and said, it's time to grow up? Some of you are going, I'm in my 80s and I haven't done it yet. But you see, the family I was raised in, grow up at times was a rebuke. Oh, grow up. How many of you ever heard that? But other times in my family, it was the idea, oh, well, Pete is growing up. And that idea of growing up, I want it to be a positive for us, not a negative. So when we're talking about rise up, growing up, it's not because you've been neglectful of your spiritual walk. It's not because you're immature in your faith. That's not the idea. As a matter of fact, the reason why this sermon is entitled Rise Up, Growing Up is because you're never fully grown up spiritually. You may have walked with the Lord like I have for decades. You're still growing you're still growing. 
The idea is, though, is that when you're younger, you tend to grow up more quickly. And the reason is, is events are new, stuff is new in life. We know that from the age of, say, 1 to 18 is where so many things happen in life. It's not that things don't happen after that, but we know our emotional, physical development, that kind of stuff sort of skyrockets. But again, even as you're older, there are opportunities, especially spiritually, to continue to be a person who's growing up. Now, this morning, we're going to take a look at an event and a person who calls someone to be an individual who is growing up in their faith and spiritually. The scripture that we're going to read together is taken from the Gospel of John. Some of you have never read the Newer Testament. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is unique for many reasons, but one of them is... Is because in the Gospel of John, there are seven miracles. Seven miracles. And all seven miracles are called signs by John. In the three other Gospels, they are termed with power terms like dunamis, dynamite, power. Jesus had power. But in the Gospel of John, there are seven miracles and they are called signs And the gospel writer tells you that the reason for the signs is to point you to Jesus and something unique about him. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 20, verse 30, the writer literally comes out, John literally comes out and says that Jesus did many other signs. He doesn't call them miracles. He said Jesus did many other signs that are not included in this book, but those that are included are so that you would believe that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that you would have life in his name. As we look at these signs, and in a moment we're going to read one of the major signs, one of those seven miracles in the Gospel of John. But as we're looking at those, please know this. A growing up faith begins to understand something, and John gives us this. He kind of spoon feeds it to us, and it's this. Jesus' first miracle, his first sign, is at a wedding. And in the ancient world where Jesus lived, the wedding was the community event of a family's life. It's where the whole family would gather together, relatives, neighbors, everyone was invited, and there was a massive celebration, and it was at a wedding, a time of incredible joy, that Jesus does his first sign. He turns water into wine. But the sign we're going to look at this morning is the fifth of the seven signs, and it's involved with a funeral. It's a funeral. You go from incredible joy in the first sign to suffering in the fifth sign. But here's what I want to say at the outset. A growing up faith understands Jesus can be known both in the joys and the sorrows of life. In both. And as your pastor, I want to tell you that I really want you to get a hold of this. 
That if we're going to be a group of people who are rising up, if we're growing up in our faith, we need to understand that Jesus can be known not only in the joys, but in the sorrows as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look into John chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. I want you to read it with me. Usually I give a lot of background to the stories that I'm going to get ready to read biblically, but I don't have to for this one because it's somewhat lengthy and somewhat detailed, and we're going to read a chunk of it. I'm going to talk about it. We'll read another chunk about it, and then I'll talk about that, and then we'll conclude our time. But here's what John chapter 11, verses 1 through 7 tell us about this sign that Jesus performs at a funeral. It says this, the death of Lazarus, Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother was Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. We're going to take a look together at a growing up event in the Gospel of John. Now here's what we may need to know because it's going to help us to make sense of where we're going. The Gospel just told us that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live in Bethany. Bethany is a smaller town that's less than two miles from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. N.T. Wright, who's a famous biblical scholar, tells us that Bethany literally means the house of the poor. The house of the poor. He writes, there is some evidence that it was just that, the house of the poor. A place where poor, needy, and sick people could be cared for. Kind of like a hospice. Located a little way outside of the city of Jerusalem. So picture this. Mary and Martha and Lazarus live in a town that's known as the place for poor people. Here they are living in this town. And yet the sisters send word to Jesus. And what they announce to Jesus is fascinating to me. They say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. The one you love. Please understand that not only do they say that, but we just read in John eleven five 5 that Jesus truly loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them. He truly loved them. But a growing up faith is something that recognizes this. A growing up faith is completely and utterly reliant upon Jesus' love for us. That's what a growing up faith comes to understand. 
Now, what I'm going to explain next can be a little bit difficult, but I'm praying that I describe it well so that you can follow me. I want you to notice that when Mary and Martha send what's really a prayer request to Jesus, hey, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. When they send that to Jesus, the leverage they're using is the love Jesus has for Lazarus. That's what cements their relationship. I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus if you have one. I want you to think about this carefully. What is the thing that you completely and utterly rely upon in your relationship with Christ? Did you think about that? Theirs is, is that Jesus loves them. You see, a lot of how relationship works, let's call it social capital. How a lot of relationship works is when you want to get to know someone or you're going to meet someone and there's nothing wrong with this. It's kind of how the world works. You have something that you can offer into a relationship and somehow you try to figure out how you can extend what you have to offer so that that other person moves relationally towards you. It's called networking. And I experienced this at times. When we were serving with City Serve yesterday, I experienced this. Here I was. I was meeting a new lady. I could sense that she was kind of in charge. She worked for the city of Charlottesville, and I really wanted to get to know her. And so I went over to her, and I said, hey, my name is Pete. It's really good to meet you, and I'm the pastor of City Church. And please take this the way it's meant. She said, oh, wow, I've heard of your church. Of course, I'm thinking, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Good thing, bad thing. You ever have that? And she smiled when she said it, so it was a good thing. See, in that moment, I know that I have social capital with her. I know this. I'm the pastor of a church. It's got a good name in the community. Now we can connect. All of us do this. It's intuitive. You might use things like, oh, you're at UVA and you say that, that'll connect. Maybe you know you have something in common with someone else. That's how you're connecting with people. But I want you to notice what Mary and Martha do. It is so mission critical for a growing up faith. What do they rely upon? Jesus, the one that you love, is sick. They are utterly reliant upon the fact that Jesus loves them. It's not about works. It's not about you being a good person. It's not about you praying enough prayers. As a matter of fact, that's one of the briefest prayers in all of Scripture. Lord Jesus, the one that you love is sick. But if we're going to have a growing up faith, I want us to have this caution Social capital does not work with Jesus. It doesn't work. My relationship with Christ and your growing relationship with Christ is all about the fact that he loves us. He loves us. That's the basis of it all. You know what we know is that there's little doubt that Martha and Mary and Lazarus are poor. They live in Bethany, the house of the poor. Do you realize that poorer people truly understand that relationship and love is the greatest capital there is? 
I watched this incredible talk that was given. And the talk was given as to why some professional athletes that exit poor neighborhoods and end up making a lot of money, they end up broke. And the study showed that the reason why is, is that oftentimes these individuals who make great money, there's something hardwired into them because they're poor that social capital or relational capital is more important than anything else. And in the end, the money doesn't necessarily matter. And if you've got money, you have to give it to those people that you were raised with. Why? Because when you're poor, the most important thing is the love and the relationship and the connection. And even when you get away from that financially, there's a drawing to go back in. It was fascinating to me. And I sat there and something clicked. Maybe that's why it's easier for someone who's poor to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, it is so difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven because we have so much else to offer. And oh, by the way, if you're sitting here, you're rich. You're rich. So when we look at this, a growing up faith recognizes what Martha and Mary knew. Their relationship with Jesus is based on the fact that he loves them. That's a growing up faith. Now as we look at this, there's another thing that I've discovered in this story that I think is so important for a growing up faith. And it's this. A growing up faith joins with others in prayer to Jesus. I want you to notice what that passage of Scripture says. It says, Mary and Martha together sent a message to Jesus, the one you love is sick. They did it together. And a growing up faith realizes that joining with others in prayer and praying to Jesus brings a vitality to life. I think there are many of us here, we've walked with Jesus for a good amount of time, but our prayer life and the burdens that we carry in life are really just kept to ourselves. A growing up faith recognizes that to reach out to someone and to humble ourselves and say, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? At the end of our service today, there's going to be an opportunity for those of us whose hearts are burdened to step out of where we're seated and to come down front and to go to the sidewalls and to be prayed for and prayed with by people who are part of our prayer team. I would say it's time for some of our faith maybe to do a little growing up to where we will step out and we will learn what Mary and Martha knew. And that is there are times where the requests of our life need to be shared with another and made with another and brought to Jesus. If I could put it this way, a growing up faith humbles itself and determines I'm not gonna bear these burdens alone. Then we read on in the Gospel of John and our story gets deeper and it gets more fascinating. John chapter 11 verses 17 through 27 says this, Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now if you would recall, when Jesus received the word that Lazarus was sick, the Bible says he stayed 
two days before he took the day-long journey to go to Bethany. So in other words, when Jesus received word that Lazarus was sick, he had already passed away. So Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And when she goes out to meet him, the Bible says Mary stayed at home. Martha goes out. Mary stays home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said, your brother, well, he will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You see, Jesus makes a powerful profession. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. She makes a powerful confession, I believe. But before we get to that, I want to talk about another thing that is so key with a growing up faith. It's this. Growing up faith resists the temptation to have if-then beliefs about Jesus. You see, what ends up happening is when Jesus comes towards the town, and he's walking towards the town. Martha runs out to him, and it says, Martha said to Jesus, listen carefully to what she said. If you had been here, then my brother would not have died. If, then. What you don't know is in John eleven fifty two, 52, when Mary finally comes out to meet with Jesus, she says the exact same thing. She comes to Jesus, she sees him, she falls on her feet at his feet before him, and she says the identical thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, both of them have an if-then view of what faith looks like to connect with Jesus. And what I want to say is, a growing up faith resists the temptation to have if then beliefs about Jesus. It is so key. Now I want to talk about this in depth because I think it's important. Here's what I know. The Bible says that Jesus receives word. The one you love is sick. And what was Jesus' reaction? He stayed put for two days. Now, before it says that, it tells you, but Jesus loved Mary, and he loved Martha, but he does not move. He stays put, and he waits. And when Martha sees him, and Mary sees him, they both ultimately are saying, as Jesus, you should have been here. Where were you? Your timing, Jesus, is off. Should have been here. 
And what begins to develop in the life of a believer is that if we have an if-then view of faith, we will find that it won't be long before we begin to struggle with our relationship with Jesus. Now, I've observed over the years that there are people that can walk in an if-then faith. It's sort of formulaic. It's kind of an equation. If Jesus is this, then this must happen. If Jesus is this, this must happen. I've watched people do it with their personal health. I've watched people do it with provision. I've watched people do this in parenting. And I've watched people do this in the idea of the direction for their lives. The idea would be, is if Jesus truly loves me, there are certain things that won't happen. If he loves me, then this. What I can tell you is, Jesus does love you. He does. And Jesus loves you, and if he does, and he does, there are certain things you can be guaranteed of. You can be guaranteed that his presence is always with you. Always. Jesus loves you. You can be guaranteed that if you bring your sins to him, you will be cleansed and forgiven and your sins are eternally removed from your life. Jesus loves you. You can be guaranteed that there will be a resurrection of the living and the dead to stand before God. There are certain things that will definitively happen. But I can share with you this, that many people have the same if-then beliefs that Mary and Martha have towards Jesus. And when you move through faith that way, I can guarantee you this, those if-then beliefs will eventually move you away from the vibrancy of your faith. Because what happens is, Mary and Martha send a prayer request to Jesus. Jesus, the one that you love, is sick. What does the gospel tell us Jesus does? He stays put for how long? Two days. Their equation with God, their equation with Jesus, their formula of relationship is, is that if I reach out to Jesus and he really not loves me, he will become running towards me every single time. And there's this if-then belief about faith. The idea then is, if there's that formulaic view, if there's this if-then view of Jesus, then when he delays because he is God and he chooses when he moves, the idea would be then he has not heard us and he does not love us. Because if he loved us and he heard us, he would have been here. And if he would have been here, Lazarus would have never died. Some of us in our faith have come to the point where some of us have thought about quitting. Some of us have looked at faith and said it just doesn't work. Others of us have begun to back off. We've gotten cold in our faith towards Jesus. And I want you to think about that if that's you. Have you had an if-then formula for faith? Have you said... If God loves me, this, that, and the other needs to happen, if then. But what's amazing is, Jesus does not succumb to the if-then equation. He is the one that arrives on the scene. 
But as I think about that if-then equation, I want to bring to you a verse from the book of Romans that's quoted so often. Paul writes, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, in that, there is a growing faith that yes, brings our needs to God, yes, cries out to God, yes, prays in the name of Jesus, yes, relies on the fact that Jesus loves us, but it's not formulaic. It's not an if-then faith. It looks at Jesus, and in looking at Jesus, there's this trust in him that supersedes that concept of what faith is. The idea here is, though, is that when Jesus arrives, and if Romans 8.28 is right, and it always is, that God is working together the good of those things in your life, and he's working it for your good. That's what Jesus does for Martha and Mary. They send the request. They have an if-then faith. They want Jesus to come running immediately. Jesus waits two days. And when he shows up, he says to Martha, hey, Martha, guess what? I'm the resurrection and the life. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Her theology pushed the resurrection way down the road. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She said, oh, I know. At the end of time, I know the resurrection, Jesus. I've got all of that. And Jesus says, no, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. And what we need to know is this. There are seven I am's in the book of John. There are seven just like there are seven signs, miraculous wonders that Jesus does that points to something about him that that miracle affirms and confirms, there are also seven I am statements in John. This one is where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Why would I am statements be so important? I can tell you Martha got it instantly when he said it. And it's this, in the Older Testament, in Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses and says, Moses, you're going to lead the people out of bondage, out of slavery, into the promised land. And Moses looks up at God and says, God, there's no way this is going to work. Moses has to talk him into it. Then Moses says, okay, Lord, I'm willing to go to Pharaoh. I'm willing to confront him. But you have to tell me, and this is so fascinating, God, I don't even know the God that's sending me. Moses is looking at this God going, I don't even know your name. Who are you? God says to Moses, Moses, when you go before the people, when you go before Pharaoh, just tell him the I am that I am has sent you. Moses goes, that'll do. And then Jesus, now in the book of John, he looks at Martha and he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. She would have known instantly he was proclaiming to be God, that he is truly God. I am the resurrection. Martha, I am the life. And Martha, whoever comes to me, though they die, they will live again. 
Martha, do you believe this? And she says, I believe. I truly believe you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you're the one that God sent into this world. I truly believe. Jesus goes, okay, you believe. Let's go on to what next. Let's read it as we close. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The Bible tells us that Jesus once more deeply moved. Jesus loved them. He was emotionally moved. And he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. I like how the King James puts it. It says, Lord, he stinketh. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took, the, they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes, let him go. The understanding here is this, is the miracle that Jesus performs, one, to relieve the suffering of Mary and Martha, that's part of it, it's part of it. But the sign the sign of the miracle is what you must not miss. And that is this, is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that whoever comes to him, though they die, they will live forever. Please know this, that as we look at our faith and we look at what it means to follow Jesus, our growing up faith will say to us, Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know. He loves me. That is the basis of my relationship with him. It's not the social capital that I bring to Jesus like I do with others. It doesn't work with him. He loves me. And then my growing faith says I get with other people and I bring the burdens of my heart to him. And then, if I'm ever discouraged in my faith, I'm gonna look at myself and say, is there an if-then equation that I'm bringing to Jesus, saying, Jesus, if you really love me, this would have never happened. In the end, we back off of that, and we look at Jesus. We say, Jesus, you, you're the resurrection and the life. If I believe in you, even though I die, I will live again. And you're the only one that can bring us that. You're the only one. Let's stand together as we close. As we stand together, let's close our eyes and take a moment to open up our hearts to Jesus. My prayer is today that the Lord would prompt your heart to have a growing up faith. 
I know God sure has convicted me about mine. As we stand in God's presence, the worship team is going to lead us in worship with I surrender all. Would you please take the next few moments and position yourself into this story and hear what God would speak to your heart. Let's worship together.